Jazzcast Pros. We are at a place in history where we have the incredible opportunity for change. No matter what your racial background is or your heritage is, there's work that can be done on a micro level and on a macro level. And it's going to take all of us to do our part in order to make change happen. And when someone experiences racism, it can cause them to feel many things. A feeling of anxiety and vigilance, being on guard for the next discriminatory experience. Racism also has an impact on our bodies. The heart starts racing, blood pressure increases, breathing speeds up, and our bodies release stress hormones. But when a stressor like structural racism, macro level racism, when you have something like that, the stressful reaction doesn't go away. The body stays in this heightened state because it's a 24-7 situation. Welcome to Living the Front Seat Life. I'm your host, Kelly Marie, and I invite you to take this journey with me. We're going to be talking about all things mental health and emotional well-being. You see, I am a overcomer. If you are interested in figuring out the path for you to determine how and where you will drive your future, this is the place to be. We get to determine the ride. We may not get to determine the weather or who's on the road with us or if it's going to be a scenic route or not, but we are the drivers. So join me on this ride, living the front seat life. Welcome. Welcome. If you tuned in last week, we had a tough conversation um, around hatred not being a mental illness. And this week, um, I want to continue the conversation, but look at it from a different angle and talk about the mental health effects of racism. So before we jump into today's topic, I would love for you to share this podcast. You know, if you get something out of it, if you believe that others would benefit from the conversations that we have here at Living the Front Seat Life, please share, like, talk about it, get the word out, because um, that's really the one way that those around you can be impacted by the same things you're being impacted by. That's the one way they can learn the same things that you're learning. And so today in talking about mental health and the mental health effects of racism, I believe that in talking about micro racism, macro racism, um, what racism is and going through some definitions and what the effects of it looks like to a person's mental health and to um, the mental health of a community is a great way if you've ever said, what does this mean and how does this work? to share and to educate others without really having to say a thing. Forgive me, I am a little under the weather. That seems to be um, a thing I've been going through lately, which considering the topic, the mental health effects of racism, you know, there are physical effects of the mental health effects, you know, of, of stress and how the body responds and reacts. And so I um, am being careful in taking care of myself. I have noticed I haven't been doing all of the things that I should be doing. 
I am actually, just so you know, taking a class later on today on breathing and how to breathe. Um, when we think about breath and our breath and, and breathing, we breathe without thinking about it. But there is something to be said about intentional breathing, about being mindful of each breath. And um, I'm looking forward to that class to help me process and help me deal with everything that I'm personally going through and that I'm going through. It's part of my Black experience. I am taking care of myself. I am using the tools, but I realized that I was not paying as much attention to me and what I was going through as I needed to, which is a natural response to trauma and a natural response to me uh, and my personality of, of wanting to help and take care of others. So let's dive into to today's topic. This is one of those things that I think you need to just sit with and think about and probably go back and listen to again and figure out how you personally can go about maneuvering within the system. And when I say system, I mean the system of racism. And that's what it is. So I want to start with some basic definitions. I'm taking it to old school Merriam-Webster. Um, and, and I want to be able to have you kind of recreate my steps, right? I didn't want to give you something that required you to go out and buy a book and, and read and find page you know, 432. You can go right to the internet, ask Google, and look up the definition of racism. And so there are um, two definitions here. So the definition of racism, the first definition, a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Here's an example. Latino elites used racism to justify the displacement and enslavement of the indigenous population and these beliefs, along with the resentment created and continued, created by the continued exploitation of indigenous land and labor, culminated in the Guatemalan Civil War. That is Mariana Cabo. The war on drugs, cloaked in race-neutral language, offered whites opposed to racial reform a unique opportunity to express their hostility towards blacks and black progress without being exposed to the charge of racism. It's Michelle Alexander. From racist graffiti in schools to daily microaggressions and police profiling, rally testimonials highlighted that issues surrounding racism are still very much local issues. Ryan Deacon. And how do we begin undoing the processes of internalized hate and internalized racism, bell hooks. That is our first definition, a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. The second definition, the systemic oppression of a racial group to the social, economic, and political advantage of another, specifically white supremacy, institutional racism. Quotes from Angelo I. Davis. One of many ruses racism achieves 
is the virtual erasure of historical contributions by people of color. That speaks volumes to me because as a child, I studied um, the contributions of Black folks in America, and I didn't learn those things in school. I learned them in extracurricular programming. And um, when you consider and look at the way that American education is structured, it, it is built in a way to very much erase the historical contributions of people of color. And when you do a little research and you look at those contributions, you will be blown away by all of the work that Black folks have done, that Indigenous folks have done, that um, Chinese folks have done. This erasure is not just for the uh, racial majority. Also, it affects the racial minority. If you're only told of bad things that you or your people have done, or the ineffectiveness of your people, or that they contributed nothing to the building of the place where you live here in America, right? That has an effect on you. And I want to read the B definition. It's a political or social system founded on racism and designed to execute its principles. An excellent example of that from The Economist is in 1913, the Natives Land Act reserved 90% of the United States of America for whites, who then made up 21% of the population. So under the formalized racism of apartheid in South Africa, 3.5 million Blacks were forcibly moved to isolated reservations called homelands. These are systems and practices on a large scale. One cannot really understand the impact of racism without really diving deeper. It's not something that's inherent. It's not something you just wake up and say, aha, I've got it. It requires work. And this is a part of that work. It requires work to heal, um, both for Blacks and, and other people of color, as well as white folks. This is information that a lot of people just don't know, period, regardless of, you know, racial background. And so it's imperative that we all learn and we all grow together. And so I'm sharing this today um, because I, I, I don't believe that I really gave you steps or um, positive uh, outcomes, positive things you can do last time around. And uh, this episode really breaks that down, um, not specifically in, well, I guess the steps, but in, in what it looks like. And from there, you can see where you fit in. We are all in different places. You know, you and I have different lives. We have different families. We have different histories, regardless of our sameness. So I, I think when it comes to having a conversation like this, it's important to take time and figure out exactly where you sit in this whole thing. And so the information that I'm sharing today is coming from the New York State Department of the Office of Mental Health. I wanted to not to speak from my opinion. I wanted to give you information that comes from the professionals, right? I feel like I know a lot, but what I do know is that this topic very much affects me and I don't want it to just be about what I feel. I think it is important to know that, you know, to have that human side of things, but 
at the same time, this is not just something that I'm experiencing or something that you're experiencing. We're experiencing this together. And I think it helps us. It helps us when we know that we're not the only ones experiencing a thing. So again, this comes from New York State Office of Mental Health. Before we start, I just want to give you the two crisis hotline numbers. You can dial 988 or you can dial the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK. And that's 8255. Or you can text the number 741741. And when you text them, you can text HOME. And you will be able to speak to a crisis counselor, someone who's trained and able to assist you where you are right now. So there are two types of racism and how one experiences racism on a micro level and on a macro level. On a micro level, um, that's experiencing racism yourself or watching other people experiencing it. It's an individual type of a thing. On a macro level, it's experiencing racism through the effects of policies in the media or through institutions like the justice system, the educational system, or financial systems. That's redlining, that is gerrymandering, redistricting, creating um, spaces that are racked with food apartheid. It's not an individual one-on-one thing. And when someone experiences racism, it can cause them to feel many things. This is not mental illness. This is just the natural effects of experiencing racism. So someone can feel sad, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts, a feeling of anxiety and vigilance, being on guard for the next discriminatory experience. Having internalized racism, believing negative messages about people of color, and having decreased self-worth, you can become pessimistic and hopeless about the possibility of change. You can experience distress and post-traumatic stress, anger, and a lack of energy for planning, thinking, and coping, and also an increased likelihood of using alcohol and substances. Those are just the feelings that you can feel. Racism also has an impact on our bodies. And I can personally say that since the May Massacre here in Buffalo, New York, I have experienced um, more of these physical impacts and the feelings that I, I just mentioned. So over time, the constant stress of racism can have an effect and a long-term effect on the physical health of a person. That includes inflammation, higher cortisol levels, higher blood pressure, increased heart rate, and decreased immune function. Racism has a physical impact on the body. When somebody encounters a stressful situation, the body gets ready to respond. Like that's, that's what it is built to protect itself. The heart starts racing, blood pressure increases, breathing speeds up, and our bodies release stress hormones. It's the natural way the body repairs to manage stress. But when a stressor like structural racism, macro level racism, when you have something like that, the stressful reaction doesn't go away. The body stays in this heightened state because it's a 24-7 situation. It's not something that you just experience once in a blue moon. It's a part of your daily life. 
And experiencing racial discrimination can really cause racial trauma. What that means is that when you experience racism more often, your symptoms become more intense. And racial trauma may look like constantly thinking about and re-experiencing distressing events, having anxiety and hypervigilance, suffering from chronic stress, and can experience physical symptoms like headaches or stomach aches. You can have difficulty with memory. You can struggle with sleep or insomnia. And you might avoid people and be less willing to take risks. Now, when you look at the systemic side of things, people of color experience multiple barriers when it comes to seeking mental health support, which is one of the reasons why this podcast exists. You know, when I was going through my initial recovery process, I wasn't able to find the resources that I needed in order to heal. Um, You have less access to affordable and high quality mental health care. There's definitely a lack of um, availability of culturally competent providers or providers from similar racial or cultural backgrounds. There is um, a huge lack in providers of color, therapists of color, um, nurse practitioners of color, licensed mental health social workers and therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists. There's a severe lack of representation in those areas. And so when you think about racialized trauma and racism and trying to seek help in dealing with them, you have to go to people that look like the oppressor, that look like the cause of your racial trauma, your racialized trauma. And um, that's difficult to do for many people, but there are ways to cope. And I wanna end our time today with how to cope with racism and racial trauma. I wanna say, if you're experiencing racism, right, it's not your responsibility to fight against it or to battle the system that created it and supports racism. But it's important to learn how to cope with the effects. And self-care, you know, I'm big on that. And self-love can be healing and anti-racist acts. However, if you are not experiencing racism, it is very much your responsibility to fight against and to battle the system that supports its structures. That is when people say, well, how do I help? That's how. If racism doesn't impact you, that's how you help. You fight the system and you're going to have to figure out how to do that. In no other instance do we ask someone who is traumatized or abused how to deal with and fix a situation. How do we make this better? How, how can we eradicate this situation? Right? That person, those folks are placed in healing environments. And those that are the culprits are responsible for making the change. The same is true here when we talk about racism. So some ways of coping with racism and racial trauma uh, is finding a role model or a mentor. That is a, a great connector and a powerful part of coping is having someone that's been through and walked through you know, these steps to guide you. Talk about your experiences. You know, when people don't acknowledge the racial discrimination that they've experienced, they're often 
at higher risk for mental health struggles. So having conversations, talking about what it feels like, talking about where you are in your recovery process is incredibly important. Name what you feel when you feel it. Now, this is something that we've talked about before, emotions and feelings and naming things. It is, it is a great part of the healing process when you can name what you're feeling, when you're feeling it. When your emotions are a reaction to racism, label the connection. It can be empowering. It can be validating. It can help you see that what you're experiencing is real. Remind yourself that taking time to pause can improve your health. Rest is a incredible I'm using that word a lot, but rest is a, it's a really a radical act of self-care and healing. You can connect with others who understand what you've experienced and can provide social support. Social supports um, and having that, that network, that kind of netting, a safety net, can be a, a great part of the healing process. Peer interaction is really one of the most effective ways to cope. And that connection can be with a friend, family members, a mental health professional. Um, it doesn't have to be anything formal. It's just connecting with others that really understand what you're experiencing and can also provide social support. I have two more for you. You can identify your specific triggers. So places, people, situations, and think about how to cope with them. Role-playing is a great example. In role-playing, how you would react in a certain situation can help with the anxiety and help you process the trauma. And finally, you can consider getting involved in activism and problem-solving. It can help boost your sense of control. It can help increase your sense of confidence and your actual contribution to the cause. It can also help you connect to others that validate and support you, which goes back to connecting with others who understand what you experience and can provide those social supports. It could also help you find that role model or mentor. And it gives you an opportunity to talk about your experiences. So though they're really interrelated methods, um, they can be standalone methods of coping with racism and racial trauma. But um, I encourage you no matter where you are in your process of dealing with racism, of dealing with the health effects and the mental health effects of racism, to find a, a, a starting point. You know, I'm going to start here with this thing, and I'm going to do A, B, C, and D. That goes back to routine setting, which we talked about a lot. But setting a routine, knowing and mapping out how you're going to handle a situation how you're going to develop your step-by-step process for functioning can help you cope and deal with the mental health effects of racism. And so until the next time, I want to just go back and review with you the definitions of racism, because I think it's important to know exactly what it is we're talking about. And when you know exactly what it is you're talking about, it's so much easier to be able to begin to develop solutions around those things. And when we have a common language, that means we're talking the same, we're using the same words about the same things. We're better able to communicate. 
And communication leads to healing. It leads to better understanding. It leads to building trust. And I cannot stress how important it is to be better communicators, not just when it comes to the mental health effects of racism, but in all things. So to review, there are two definitions of racism. The second definition has an A and B part. The first definition is a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. The second definition, this is 2A, it's a systemic oppression of a racial group to the social, economic, and political advantage of another, specifically white supremacy. The B definition, a political or social system founded on racism and designed to execute its principles. We are at a place in history where we have the incredible opportunity for change. No matter what your racial background is or your heritage is, there is work that can be done. There's work that can be done on a micro level and on a macro level. And it's gonna take all of us to do our part in order to make change happen. So at the beginning of the podcast, I asked you to share the podcast to let people know that we're having these kind of conversations about mental health and racism, that we're having these conversations about health and wellness, because the more people know and the more comfortable people become having these conversations, the easier it is to make change. So until the next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for spending time with me. And I encourage you, as always, to be the light.